coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, saying March was coming. Well, guys... March is officially here, and outside of college football, there is nothing better on the sports calendar than March Madness, and it's time for you to get in on all the action. If you've been putting it off, now is the time, and it's so simple, guys. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA when you sign up for a brand new account, and they're going to hook you up with a 50% bonus on your first deposit so that you don't miss a second of all the action this March. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and speaking of March... March Madness isn't the only thing to look forward to as Georgia spring practice opens in just over a week on Tuesday, March 12th. And today I am back with part two of our spring practice primer series to give you guys everything you need to know about all the position battles, the players, the transfers, the storylines, everything you need to know heading into spring practice. Last week on the show, we kicked things off with the offensive line. Today, we're going to cover every single remaining position on the offense. The original plan was to break each side of the ball, the offense and the defense, up into three different parts. So it's been a six-part series, but we are going to run out of time if we do that. So today, we are covering every other position on the offense. So basically, the skill players, I guess we can say that. We'll dive into the running backs, the receivers, tight ends, and we'll wrap things up with the quarterback position. So we are talking a ton of Georgia football, not just today, but the rest of the week. So make sure you keep coming back all week long, guys. We can get you ready for spring practice in a way that no one else is going to. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this thing, and let's open with the running back position. So we did do the offensive line last week on Thursday. Just makes sense to continue on with the running backs, who will be running right behind what I project to be another awesome Georgia offensive line. And the running back position, guys, it's this is an interesting position coming into spring practice. I think there's a lot in flux here. I don't think there are a lot of surefire answers. The one thing that I would say I feel very strongly about right now is that the transfer from Florida, Trevor Etienne, is likely going to exit the spring as the starter at running back. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, okay, well, what about Branson Robinson? He was the guy you told us all last offseason. He was going to be the dude. He was going to be the feature back. Had a great spring. I know he hurt his knee going into, into the season during fall camp, but he'll be back and okay, right? Well, I would like to assuage any of your concerns and say, yes, Branson's going to be back, full go, no problem. But we don't know that right now. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now that he is not going to be ready for spring practice. He's not going to be practicing. That is what I've been told for a while now. So don't have any expectation to see Branson Robinson out there. If you do, it's going to be because of a minor miracle. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take a minor miracle, maybe even a major miracle, a legit miracle for Branson to be ready for spring practice. He is just not going to be cleared in time for spring. That doesn't mean he can't be out there going through reps and being in position meetings. Of course, like he's been doing that all along, going back to last year. But I would not expect him to be cleared for contact and taking part in the actual drills of spring practice. So that is unfortunate. I am very hopeful that he will be cleared fully in time for fall camp, but there's no guarantee, guys. What I've been hearing behind the scenes, this injury is significant, more significant than I thought it was initially. And this is not a situation where Branson's just not really attacking his rehab. No, that's not the case at all. Everything I've been told is that he is going full bore at this thing and is working as hard as he possibly can. It's just a tough injury to recover from. It's a patella tendon injury, and those things can be very, very tricky. And apparently Branson's was a, a really severe patella injury. So that's a big part of why I say there's so much up in the air right now at the running back position. If Branson was fully healthy and Trevor Etienne is fully healthy, like he is as far as I know, then that is your one two punch. It's as clear as day. There's no questions asked. But Branson's still rehabbing that injury and his recovery is still very much in progress and up in the air in terms of the timeline. It opens the door for some of these younger, less experienced guys. But let's go back to what I feel very confident saying, that right now Trevor Etienne is the guy until Branson Robinson gets fully cleared. And even once Branson gets fully cleared, there's no telling what version of Branson that we are going to get. So there is a very real chance, not just the spring, not just fall camp, but a very real chance that Trevor Etienne is going to go into the 2024 season as our feature back, as our top guy in that room. 
room. I hope we get the version of Branson that we were going to get prior to the injury last year. I hope that's the case, but we don't know. But as far as Trevor Etienne, this is a guy, you know, we're getting this guy from Florida. He was a playmaker for the Gators during those first two years. I mean, this guy put up 719 yards as a true freshman, 753 last year, and he was really in a split role. So he was more or less sharing carries with Montreal Johnson, who's a guy that came over with Sunbelt Billy from Louisiana. And I, I talked about ETN when he committed to us a couple months ago. This is a guy that I have loved from afar. I have been very high on him from essentially the moment he got to Gainesville. I think he has a tremendous amount of versatility. Yeah, he does come in somewhat of a smaller package. I know when you look at 5'9", I mean, this guy, can he really be a, a true feature back in the Georgia offense to do things that we want our backs to do? I mean, yeah, guys, he's 5'9", but he's also 205 pounds. He is a thick 5'9". He's a lot like DeAndre Swift was in that regard. I mean, DeAndre was 5'9", 210, 215 while he was here in Athens. Billy Napier runs a pro-style offense that skews towards the run at Florida. He did very much so at Louisiana. A little bit less so at Florida, but still, he runs a pro-style offense that wants to establish a tough, hard-nosed physical ground game, a lot like we do. And yes, Trevor Etienne, even at 5'9", was able to fill that role as a downhill running back. But that's not all he can do. That's the thing. I mean, this guy is a fantastic athlete. You can use him out in space. You can use him in the passing game. He has elite short area quickness. He is incredibly elusive in space, very good top end speed, and also has deceptive power. The one thing about being 5'9", is that you can often be the low man. So he is more than willing to put that shoulder down, get behind his pads, and run through contact. And he has great contact balance, which allows him to do so. So I am extraordinarily high on Trevor Etienne. Of course, I wish Branson Robinson would be fully healthy coming this season, but we don't know that. But this is a great thing to have a guy like Trevor Etienne. There's a reason we went out and got a guy this caliber. Not only a reason that we went out and got a guy like this, there's a reason that we were able to go out and land a guy like this, because we know that Branson Robinson's health is still very much in the air, and we don't know when he's going to be cleared. And Trevor Etienne was brought in at the very least to form a potent one-two punch with Branson Robinson. And if necessary, he gives you that security blanket to be a guy that can be your feature back if Branson is not ready to go when the season kicks off. Because I don't know if you guys look at the schedule, we don't really ease into things this year. We got Clemson right off the bat, week one, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So you need that proven guy, that guy that you can trust, the guy that you know you can really feature, and a guy that can carry the load, and Trevor Etienne is that guy. So yeah, during spring, at the very, very least, Etienne is going to be the number one running back. Now behind him, that's where things are really interesting. We have two guys coming back from last year. They're on last year's team. It didn't get many carries between them in Roderick Robinson and Aaron Paul. Roderick Robinson is going to be a true sophomore while Andrew Paul is going to be a redshirt sophomore. Those two had 53 carries and 325 yards between them last year. So not completely inexperienced, but also not very experienced at the same time. Right now, I would lean towards Roderick Robinson being the number two guy in spring practice. It's certainly not impossible for Andrew Paul to take a big step forward in his second year removed from the ACL tear. As you see with a lot of running backs, Paul is very clearly still trying to come back from the injury last year. I don't know if he was really ever 100% at any point. I think when he got a few carries later in the season, he did start to look better and better and a little bit more comfortable, a little faster, not thinking as much out there. And Big Rod is a guy that I wasn't completely sold on early in the year, of course. Like, you have a very open mind because he's a true freshman. You know, these guys are going to get better, but he was not ready to be a major contributor for us early last season. He was thrust into duty the first two weeks of the year by necessity because we basically didn't have any backs. It was Kendall Milton and Rod. Like, that was it. 14 of his 24 carries on the year came in the first two weeks against Tennessee Martin and Ball State. And that wasn't necessarily just because, hey, garbage time, get some carries. No, like he had to actually carry the ball throughout the game because, again, it was Kendall Milton and Roger Robinson. Those were the extent of our two like legit healthy backs. Andrew Paul, yeah, was cleared, but didn't really play much because still coming back from the ACL, wasn't really ready at that point. And in those first two games, it wasn't that Rod was a disaster or anything. He wasn't. But there was very clearly some improvement that needed to be made in his game. Primarily when it came to just his weight, he needed to get his weight in check. He was too big. I mean, he is a big back. That is what makes him unique and what really brings value to the table with him. But he was too big. I mean, I, I've told this story a couple times in the podcast before. Last summer, going into fall camp, I guess it was, I don't know, probably late April, May, somewhere around there, I saw Rod and a couple of the football players at the Blind Pig 
And I looked at this guy and I was like, I mean, I know that's Roger Robinson. Like, I know what his face looks like, but dear God, are we sure this is not like an offensive lineman? Like, he's just a big dude. And, and not like in the best way. Like, there's a, a lot of excess weight where you don't typically want to have excess weight if you catch my drift. And look, we, we've seen big backs like that before. Like, Rod Dane was a Heisman Trophy winner, right? And he was very much along the same line. So it's not like those guys can't be really good running backs at the college level. But when you are big like that, you need to run big because you're not going to be running away from a lot of players, right? Rod has really good feet. He had great feet in high school out in California. Good solid speed. He still does have good solid speed, but he is not a breakaway home run threat running back. That's not what Roger Robinson is. He's a big back, and his greatest value as a big back is going to be running through tackles and churning out the tough yards. Well, I did not feel like Roger Robinson was really doing that early in the year. Obviously, extraordinarily small sample size. Talking about 14 carries through those first two games. He had one carry against South Carolina, then sprained his ankle, was out for most of the rest of the year. So he had that one carry against Carolina, came back against Ole Miss, had two carries, and then didn't see another another carry until the Orange Bowl against Florida State. We had seven carries for 70 yards. And that's where I want to go next. I don't want to sit here and reminisce on how Rod wasn't ready early in the year and how he was overweight and how he wasn't running big behind his pads. I do think all that's true. But what I'm more, far more concerned about is what did he look like towards the end of the season and what is he going to be prepared to do for us this year? Again, I know, very small sample size, but in that small sample size, that one game against Florida State, I loved what I saw from Rod. And I know that Florida State had a mashing out there. I know it wasn't their stars. Like, Florida State fans will never let us forget that, right? Of course, we always know. We, we, we can say 63-3 all we want, but they're going to sit here and say, oh, we, we didn't have anybody playing. Okay, sure, whatever. But that's beside the point. I'm talking about what I saw from Rod himself. He had really cut a lot of that weight. He's still big. Still big. He's always going to be a big guy. But he had reshaped his body and gotten rid of a lot of what I think was bad weight. And as a result, he was moving more fluidly. I thought he was moving quicker. I thought you saw his feet quite simply move in a way that we did not see early in the year. And most importantly, the most encouraging sign for me in that Orange Bowl game was Rod was running over people. He was running through tackles, breaking arm tackles, and grinding out extra yards in a way that he was not doing early in the year. And that's all I want to see, guys. I want to see improvement. I know he was a true freshman. His first and second game of the year back on September 2nd and September 9th against UT Martin and Ball State. I know that. I was well aware of where Rod was in his development. I just need to see him develop. And as the season went on, you, we didn't see it out there on the field because once, even once he got healthy, well, he wasn't playing because we have Dejan back and Kendall Milton's healthy. Those guys are our one-two punch back there. Cash Jones being sprinkled in here and there in some passing situations. So we did not really get a chance to see the results until that very last game of the year against Florida State in the Orange Bowl. And when he got his chance out there in the Orange Bowl, Rod impressed me. And so I would say right now, based off that, he is going to be the number two guy coming out of the spring. That would be my projection. Again, I think Andrew Paul is a talented back. I was really high on Andrew Paul, actually. Coming out of high school, he was a guy that we got late in that cycle, and I was encouraged by what I was hearing about him through spring practice, fall camp, before he tore his ACL, but last year was a struggle for him. Like he, he has to get back to where he's comfortable and confident in that need. I do think he got closer and closer to that as the season progressed. Again, a lot, a lot like Rod, didn't see a lot of him, so it's hard to say definitively, but I do think in the small sample size we got to see of him later in the year that he did get closer to being more comfortable and confident and running faster and running harder than maybe he was early in the year. So he's very much going to be in the mix and he's going to make a push for that number two job coming out of spring practice. But right now, I would give the edge to Rod. He was ahead of Paul last year, and I, I, right now, until I see otherwise, I'm going to project that he's going to be ahead of Paul coming out of spring practice. Now, the one guy that we have not mentioned yet, who is a little bit of a wild card, I wouldn't ex expect too much. At least I would caution you to not expect too much, because as I always say, what you get from a true freshman is a luxury. I do not make a habit of counting on true freshmen to come in right away and be impact players. Of course, it happens from time to time, but more often than not, it doesn't really work out that way. But we did sign our best running back class that we've signed in, I would say, five or six years in this 2024 recruiting cycle. Only one of them is going to be on campus for spring drills, and that is Chauncey Bowens, a running back from the state of Florida that we flipped from Florida. Now, yes, it is true that he was the lowest rated of our three running backs in this class. Of course, you know, the different services have him ranked differently, but pretty universally, he was like a, a three-star guy, a high three-star prospect. I, however, am higher on Bowens than that. I really am. I'm not going to tell you right here, right now, that he's going to be an all-SCC back. I don't know that. I think that's 
possible. I think he has the potential to grow into that eventually. I just don't think it's actually going to be this year. And for those of you who listened to our 2024 recruiting recap episode, the guy I compared him to, I know it's a lofty standard. I'm not going to hold him to that standard. I'm talking about just like his running style, the way he runs, the way he looks when he runs. He reminds me a lot of like Jamal Lewis Light. Thicker upper body, very similar running style, powerful guy, but also can like break away from the pack at times. Like he has those really short, choppy strides the way that Jamal Lewis did, and he's a big bruising back. So yeah, again, I'm not telling you he's going to be as good as Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis was a freaking stud for Tennessee. He was a stud for the for the uh, the Ravens and the NFL. Was a fantastic running back. So I'm not telling you he's going to be that good. But if I'm even in the slightest bit comparing him to Jamal Lewis, even in terms of just like running style, you probably get the idea that I'm, that I'm pretty high on him. I think he can be a, a good running back for us. And I, and I do believe that he can be a good running back for us. I just don't know how much to expect in his first couple of weeks of practice at the college level. Now, granted, running back is a position where historically, not just at UGA, but at other schools around the country, where you tend to be able to get on the field a little faster because it's not there's not as much of a learning curve at that position as there are at others on on offense and on defense as well so there's certainly an opportunity for him to come in and make some waves and put himself in a really good position maybe even earn some reps going into fall camp but like every freshman his head is going to be spinning he's going to be doing things for the very first time not even just like learning the playbook which is difficult enough but just learning how we do things, the expectations at practice, the drills themselves, how to go to class and manage practice as well. All those things are going to be new to him like they are to every incoming freshman. So I would not expect him to leave spring practice as one of our top two backs. I think that is a, certainly a reach at this point. But hey, he's a talented guy and could he maybe get his feet wet early and then kind of come on late in in spring practice and, and start to make more of a move going into the summer months? Yeah, that's certainly possible. But right now, if we're trying to be reasonable about it, I would have to put him behind, obviously, Trevor Etienne and Roger Robinson and Andrew Paul as well. While at the same time acknowledging that he is a talented back and it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to see him actually make somewhat of a move, maybe jump over a guy or two throughout the course of spring practice. And then once fall camp gets here, which we're not going to really factor into the equation right now because we're talking about spring practice. This is the spring practice primary series. But once fall camp gets here, we're going to have both Nate Frazier and Dwight Phillips Jr. here on campus, and they bring different things to the table. I think Nate Frazier might be the most complete back in the entire country this year coming to high school. I really, really like him. I think he, he is the total package. In, in some ways, reminds me of Trevor Etienne. And then Dwight Phillips is your classic versatile running back. I, I hate to use the term scat back because I think that oftentimes is used in a way to limit players. And I, I, I like James Cook, I know I've talked about this before. That was, that label was kind of thrown at him early in his career, like as the, as though he could never run between the tackles. And we clearly saw him be able to do that. Now he's doing it in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. So I don't want to say Dwight Phillips can't ever grow into being able to do that, but that's certainly not his forte right now. That's not how we're going to use him right away. He is a home run threat extraordinaire. The guy is just an insane speed merchant. But we'll talk more about those guys during the summer when we get closer to fall camp because they're not here on campus right now. They're not early enrollees, so they're not going to factor into spring practice. So there's the running back position. That's the first group we're going to talk about today. When we get back, we're going to move over to the wide receivers. But first, I do want to quickly remind you once again about our wonderful friends at MyBookie. Yes, it is March, guys. We have conference tournaments in a week and a half. The NCAA tournament itself is about two and a half weeks away, and you don't want to wait until the NCAA tournament kicks off to get in on all the action. You want to start now so you can build up a little bit of bankroll so you can go wild and have a lot of fun during March Madness betting on all the games and putting a ton of cash in your pockets, and it's so simple to get started, guys. First off, my bookie. If you're looking to get on the action, it's a no-brainer. My bookie is the place to go. Guys, I love sports betting. It's a hobby of mine. It's fun. Of course, you always bet responsibly, but it adds a little bit more to some of these games that you otherwise wouldn't really care all that much about. So I've tried a bunch of different sports books out there. And once I landed on my bookie, it was game over. My my bookie has the best options. They have the best like interface, like working with their actual site, the best customer service, they have the best promotions. So jump in on the action day at my bookie, and they make it easy for you guys. The process takes maybe sixty seconds to sign up. You just go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account. It'll be very clearly labeled for you. And when you are signing up for an account, use our promo code UGA. And again, here's one of those promos. They're gonna give you a fifty percent bonus on top of whatever. It is that you deposit with that first deposit. So if you deposit 100 bucks, 
they give you an extra 50. If you deposit 500 bucks, give an extra 250 to play with. So jump in on it while you can, guys. That deal is only going to last through the rest of this month. They've been kind enough to extend it for us a couple different times going back to the football season. But after March, it's over. So make sure you jump in on that right now, guys, while you can. Again, mybookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, receivers, let's keep this thing trucking along. This is a group where I think we have both some questions and some answers. There are certain players in that receiver room that we know are going to be factors for us this year. In fact, there are some players, I wouldn't even say you can pencil them in as stars. I would say there's at least one player, probably two, maybe even three, that you can go ahead and write in pen as starters. The one guy that I am most confident confident in right now saying is going to start next year is going to be Dominic Lovett. And the reason I'm so confident in him being the guy that is absolutely going to start for us this year is that he not only played all 14 games for us last year, he started seven of them. And in the seven games they didn't start is really just a matter of the personnel package that we came out in. When you come out in 12 personnel to open the game, well, you might not have your slot receiver on the field. And that was the case in a number of games. But he was a starter all year. That's what this guy was. He was a starter for us. He was our starter at the slot position. Like He was the guy at that spot. And he is going to be the guy at that spot again this year. He will enter the spring as that guy at the slot receiver position. And he will exit the spring as that guy at the slot receiver position, barring some crazy development. Now, the crazy development could potentially be Anthony Evans. He is the guy to watch. You know, again, I have no expectation that Anthony Evans is going to unseat Dominic Love, especially during the spring. Fall camp during the season, that might be a little bit of a different story. But during the spring, I have no expectation that Anthony Evans is going to unseat Dominic Lovett as the starter at that slot receiver position. However, saying that, Anthony Evans can put himself in a really, really good position this spring to earn some serious playing time once August and September actually get here. And this is a guy that really kind of burst onto the scene very late in the year. He really didn't do much of anything in the SEC Championship game against Alabama except for that late punt return kind of snuck him on the field. And you're like, oh, wait, that guy is legit. What's up with that speed? And then, of course, against Florida State in the Orange Bowl, he was one of many young players who showed what they're capable of heading into this 2024 season. This guy is speed personified. That is his game. He is an absolute burner. Slot fade. I mean, you saw the touchdown he caught against Florida State was a slot fade, which was a play that I was calling for us to run far more consistently all of last season with Don McLovin because he made a living off that, playing that same position under Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri in 2022. But like Dominic Lovett, Anthony Evans is a guy that can absolutely be a home run threat from that slot position if we use him that way. I mean, he is going to be a guy that is going to terrorize teams up the seam this year. Or at least I should say he has the potential to do that. There is not one single safety, certainly not a linebacker, and probably not many star defenders that are going to be able to run with this guy. The raw talent is there. It is there in spades. I have zero questions about that. Last year for him was about learning how to play that position, learning how to do it at the college level, learning to play up to our standard and do it consistently, learn the playbook, all of those things where Dominic Lovett was just clearly ahead of him. And I think Dominic Lovett is going to be ahead of him again this year. And Lovett is going to be the guy that starts most games for us at that spot. But I do think that there's going to be more of a rotation there. Dominic Lovett, again, was the guy at the slot receiver position for us last year. There really wasn't much of a rotation. Makai Muse at times situationally, we wanted to use him on like a screen pass or something, would get some run there, but not a lot. It was Dominic Lovett, the vast majority of the time out there when we wanted to have a third receiver on the field. And he, I think he will, again, be that guy for the most part this year, but I do think Anthony Evans is going to eat into those those reps and those opportunities more this year because he's just too talented to keep off the field. And you would hope with a year under his belt that he's learned the system more. He's grasped the playbook. He understands how to read coverages and, and what to do in certain situations. You would hope he's more equipped from that standpoint. I fully expect that he will because, again, the raw talent is there. Zero questions about that. And I expect that to give him an opportunity to get on the field more consistently this year. So those are the top two guys at the slot receiver position. There are a couple other guys that I think could slot in there. We have a couple of players that 
I, I think have some versatility. They can play inside. They can play outside. A guy to watch is Michael Jackson the third. Now, at USC, he did play inside. He did play outside. He's got some versatility. So it'll be more of like a where do we need you the most right now kind of thing. So Kofi White's a similar player coming out of high school, and he's a true freshman this year. He is an early enrollee. He's on campus right now, so he's going to be going through spring drills. So that's just one of those young guys to watch and see what they can do. He's a guy that can play inside because he's a smaller receiver, more of a prototype from a size standpoint as a slot receiver. But I do think he also has the skill set to be able to potentially play out wide at times as well. He's just a freaking football player, man. Love that guy. He is just a football player, undervalued recruiter. I think he's going to be a really good player for us for many, many years here in Athens. So that's the slot receiver position. Again, love it. Definitely at the top right now. Evans right there behind him. The potentially work guy like Michael Jackson III, maybe Sokovi White. London Humphreys, could he maybe also see some time there in the slot? Maybe, potentially, I see him more as like a, an outside guy, probably at the Z right now, maybe the X as well, but I, I would handicap him more as a Z right now, but we'll get to that spot here in just a minute. Next, let's go to the X receiver position. Ra-Ra Thomas is the guy that, as the season progressed last year, really took over that spot. Yes, he did get hurt late in the year, missed the last couple of games, so there's that. But he should be back fully ready to go this spring. And I fully expect, it, certainly entering the spring and likely exiting the spring, he will be the starter at the X receiver position. He's already gone through his learning curve period. It was a tough transition for him last year. Obviously, he dealt with a little bit of an off-field issue uh, about this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier in the offseason, and wasn't really practicing with us during spring practice and, and then did do a lot more during fall camp and early in the season, started to come on, got some reps early in the year. And uh, it took him a little while, but once we got to about the halfway point of the year, really Kentucky game is really, really started to come on. He did some decent things since Auburn. Then he comes back home against Kentucky, had that crazy, awesome touchdown catch. And as opposed to thinking, as he was transitioning to a, a new offense, an entirely new system coming from, from Mike Leach's air raid to our much more pro-style offense, he was out there playing. And you could see his skills were actually shining through and not so much him just like, trying to figure out what to do and, and just wondering, am I doing the right thing? He knew what he was doing and started to ma actually make plays about halfway through the season. Then unfortunately, he did get injured late in the year and wasn't able to really finish the year. But I do expect him, now that he has made that transition and gone through that learning curve and come out the other side, he's going to be the guy X to open this open the spring. And I would right now, again, project him to probably be the guy to lead the spring as the starter at that X position. The top contender that he's going to have to fend off, in my opinion, is going to be the transfer from Miami, Colby Young. I love what this guy brings to the table. Now, I know the knock on him is like, well, he, he was like the number three receiver at Miami last year. So like, how can you expect him to be a starter at Georgia? Isn't Georgia better than Miami? Okay, I get your point. I get your point. That's a fair point. But what I do when I'm evaluating these guys, yes, you have to factor in like how did they perform at their previous stop. You have to look at that. that. That's certainly part of the equation. But I focus more on the skill set. When I see you play, what do you show me you're capable of doing? And how do you fit into our offense? Yes, Miami leaned far more heavily last year on Xavier Restrepo, their legit awesome slot receiver. Like That's the guy that they went to. That was their security blanket. He was, he was their guy. But when Colby Young got opportunities, he produced. But more than that, in that production... He showed me he has the skill set, the ability to come into our offense and be an impact type player for us. Let's think about Lawrence Cager, okay? Now, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Lawrence Cager was for us. But Lawrence Cager, I know it's just coincidental that he also played at Miami. But Lawrence Cager was never like that guy at Miami either before he came to Athens. In fact, when we landed him at the transfer portal back ahead of the uh, the 2019 season, it was kind of like, I don't want to say it was a ho-hum response. It was kind of like, oh, okay, well, cool. We'll see what this guy can do. But no one had outsized expectations for him. It was it was all about this guy we got coming in, George Pickens, right? Well, Cager, when he was healthy and he dealt with some injuries that year, that, that certainly did not help our, our 2019 offense. But when he was healthy, that guy was big time for us, man. Like He was making incredible plays for us. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I saw him being as good as he ended up being for us when he was out there when he was healthy. But if you go back to the 2019 season coming into that year on this very podcast, I was telling people, I really like this guy. And why was I saying that? Because I had watched him play throughout his career at Miami. I'd gone back and broke down the tape and I saw him do things that would translate to our offense. And I just felt like, for whatever reason, it didn't really work out for him at Miami. Like, And again, he was he was productive at Miami. He just wasn't like the feature guy that he kind of grew into in Athens. But he had the skill set to be that guy. He just wasn't used that way at Miami. 
And I think you can say a lot of the same things about Colby Young. This is a guy that can do it all at receiver. This is a guy that can go up and win the 50-50 balls, can win those contested catches. This is a guy that can beat you running routes. This is a guy that has very good speed. This is a guy they actually used in the screen game from the X receiver spot at six foot five. He has an extremely attractive skill set. And I believe he has the makings to be a legit number one X receiver for us. The issue for him right now is that Ra Ra Thomas is also here in Athens, and he has been that guy. Even going back to Mississippi State, and he was that guy for us at times last year for about what would we say about a third of the season. You know, the first first half of the season or so, he's kind of getting used to the system. Then he missed the last couple of games of the year with an injury. So there were, there was a stretch of about what four or five games there where Ra Ra Thomas was a really strong X receiver force. Now, was he ever the guy? No, he wasn't because we all had this guy named Brock Bowers. And then when Brock goes down, you know, that was also around the time where Ra Ra Thomas himself went down. So he didn't really have a chance to benefit as much from that. But I think that's going to be a hell of a battle, guys. I really, really do. I think there's a lot of similarities in both their games. They're, they're two guys with with good bodies. I, I think that Kobe Young has a, has a better body. I mean, he's taller and longer. They're guys that they're both guys that have been productive. Yes, at their previous stops, they both were productive, but I would certainly give Ra Ra the edge of Mississippi State. Now, it's a different kind of offense where they're throwing the ball all over the field, but he was the leading receiver at Mississippi State before he came to Athens back in 2022, and Colby Young has never quite produced at that level, but I do believe that Colby Young's ceiling might actually be higher than Ra Ra. So right now, Ra Ra's ahead of him. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think that Kobe Young's going to come in and like be the guy like within one week or two weeks even. No, I'm not going to say that. Ra Ra is ahead of him right now. But from a ceiling standpoint, in terms of like just physical upside, I think Kobe Young's got that upside. But he's going to have to come in and prove that he's like head and shoulders above better than Ra Ra Thomas. They're both going to play this year, and nothing's going to be cited during spring practice. But what Kobe Young can do is position himself to make more of a push to maybe take that job during fall camp, heading into the 2024 season. But again, right now, I fully expect Rod to be the guy to open the spring and also to exit the spring, but also watch out for Colby Young. I think that guy is going to be legit. Then in terms of younger guys, uh, we got redshirt freshman Tyler Williams. I was pretty high on coming out of high school, and I still think he can be a good player for us. He struggled to make that transition last year, but now with the full year in the system, you would like to see him maybe make a little bit of a push and start to show some signs. If not, he might be a guy that post-spring, you might see his name pop up in the transfer portal. I I, I hate to throw that out there because like he hasn't said anything publicly. And I don't know that. I'm just saying, like reading the tea leaves here, bringing in Colby Young, where Rod Thomas still here, Tyler Williams really didn't get much playing time last year, even much time in garbage time. I just I would say watch that. I, I do think he's a talented player, though. I, I like his body type. I think that he has good speed. I think he has good hands. I think he's a guy that can be a good player. He's just behind some guys right now, and it just depends on how is this guy made up mentally? Is is he going to be willing to sit around and, and wait his turn and develop? Or is he a guy that, you know, wants that immediate gratification and wants to play right now? I don't know. I don't know. We'll set to see how that plays out. But I do think he's a talented player. And the Nitro Tuggle is one of the two freshman signees that we have at the receiver position. You guys know I'm very high on him long term. Now, I don't expect him, again, like every freshman, I don't expect him to come in right away and, and be a guy that's going to push to be a star coming at spring practice. That's just an unreasonable expectation, in my opinion. But I do love his skill set. I think he is twitchy as hell outside of the guys in the slot position. He might be the twitchiest guy that we have in the entire receiver room. He's got some explosiveness to his game. He's got that 50-50 ability. He's a really talented player. And I think give him a year or two, that guy is going to be a factor for us, that receiver. I just don't know if you're going to see it emerge that much through spring practice. I'm certainly hopeful and, you know, I'm open to the idea because I do think he's a really talented player. But again, go back to it, freshman. Just, it's always a luxury. I never expect much of them at all in their freshman year. And talk about spring practice, I certainly don't expect all that much from the spring practice. I just want to hear positive reviews. I want to hear, I want to hear that they're actually making some strides during spring practice. That's all I really expect out of freshmen during the first couple of weeks of, of their entire college career out there on the practice field. So love him. Think he's going to be a talented guy. Just don't expect it to be a, a, a thing that he's going to make a move right now as a, as a freshman during his first spring practice. And then at the Z receiver position, this is a spot where I... I want to, at the very least, pencil Dylan Bell in as a starter at the Z position. I don't know if I'm ready to write his name down in pen quite yet because I do think there are some potential contenders that can push him. But based off what I saw from Dylan Bell late last season when he did get to actually go back and play receiver full-time, didn't have to split time between running back and receiver, I think this guy's a playmaker. I mean, we know he's a playmaker. There's no thinking about it. We know this guy has made plays for us, whether it's at running back or receiver. But now where he's, at least as far as I know, working full-time at receiver, 
I fully expect this guy to put a stranglehold on that Z receiver spot and and lay his claim to it and say, this is my spot. And I expect him to be the starter coming into spring practice, leaving spring practice. I actually, I'm going to fast forward all the way to fall camp and the start of the 2024 season. I expect him to be that guy to open the 2024 season against Clemson Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's my expectation for him. But saying that, I, I don't think it's necessarily a done deal. I'm very high on Dylan. He's just another one of those guys, a lot like Sokovi White, He's just a football player. Like He doesn't really even look like a receiver. He looks like a running back. He has a running back's body, but he has great body control, awesome hands. He's great with the ball in his hands after the catch and just has that knack for making plays. Love the guy. Think he's going to be big time for us this year. So I do expect him to be that guy, but I don't think he has separated himself enough at this point to say there's no way that some of these other guys at that Z receiver spot can't at least push him. Arian Smith is a guy that a lot of people suspected might enter the transfer portal or just like leave, just say, you know what, I'm done with football. But that didn't happen. As of right now, he is still on our roster. And this is a guy who every single year he's been on campus has been oozing with potential. And that is still very much the case. Now, the issue, of course, with Arian Smith has been he's always had the potential and we've seen it in flashes, but he's never been able to consistently put it together. Well, it's now or never for Arian. Like, this is it. This is the make-or-break year. This is the the quote-unquote money year, if you will. You know, I keep seeing, going back to last year, people saying that drops are an issue for him. And I, and I will readily admit that drops were an issue for him at times last year, yes. But that hasn't really been the issue for him throughout his entire career. Yeah, it was a, it was a problem last year, for sure. But I, I wouldn't say that something that's plagued him his entire career here in Athens. The issue, as we have discussed for many years here on this show, is Arian has had trouble staying healthy. Now, he largely stayed healthy last year, which is the first time that he stayed healthy for a full year. But here's what we have to continue to understand about Arian Smith. The injuries that he dealt with his first two, two and a half years in Athens set him back from a developmental standpoint. And when you're talking about a guy who was extremely physically gifted, like he still is coming out of high school, but was very, very raw... That is a guy that needed serious development coming out of high school. And he needed those first two years. Losing those first two years essentially because of injury, or at least significant chunks of those first two years because of injury, that set him back from a developmental standpoint. It stunted his growth. That is just reality, guys. That's what happened with Arian Smith. That guy needed those years to grow and develop and turn into a legit receiver. To take what is insane, world-class level track speed, take that and translate it onto the field and become a legitimate football player. Now, he has shown signs of becoming more of a legit receiver. He's really started to come on late in the 2022 season, obviously that huge, massive catch against Ohio State, but he still hasn't quite been able to do it consistently. I am so hopeful, not just for us and what's good for Georgia on the field of play, but I am just hopeful for Arian as well, because everything I've heard about this guy behind the scenes, just telling you guys, He's a fantastic young man. The coaches love him. The team loves him. This guy works his butt off behind the scenes. He is a worker. He's a grinder. Does everything the coaches ask him to do. Now, he still has to produce on the field. Like that, that is, That's what it comes down to. You can work hard. and Coaches love you. Players love you. But at the end of the day, you got to produce. And he hasn't produced enough when he's on the field. And he does, he's done it at times. Made some big catches for us. You mentioned Ohio State. Last year's Alabama in the SEC Championship game. I mean, if Carson puts the ball out there a little bit better, that's a touchdown. He had, what, two, two and a half steps on the guy, but he's got to start doing that more consistently. He's got to, and he's got to become a better blocker. That's been part of the issue for him. One of the reasons that he's not been able to stay on the field consistently is because the guy has struggled to block. Now, he's a smaller guy, and it's always going to be harder for him to block than a guy like, I don't know, Marcus Rosemi Jackson. But hey, I'm going to use Lad McConkie as an example. Lad, not a big dude, right? You hear, you hear all that talk right now with the NFL Combine. Well, he blew up the NFL Combine, but you still hear the criticism. Oh, he's small. Well, Lad was small, but Lad also was a, a good blocker. Not like a Marcus Rosemi Jack St. level blocker, but a good blocker, better than Arian. Arian needs to get to that level because that is a big part of playing receiver at Georgia. If you want to get on the field and want to be able to make plays in the passing game, you got to be able to block or you're not going to be on the field. That's just the way it is at Georgia. That's just the reality. But he's a guy that I am not going to bury. I am not ready to bury him. I know a lot of people are, but I'm not. You can't give up on a guy that has that type of skill set, that has that type of speed. He has something that no one else on our team has. Like We have fast players at receiver. Like Anthony Evans. Anthony Evans, I will say, 
can rival Arian. I mean, Anthony Evans was a, like a was a 10-2, 700-meter guy coming out of high school. So what is he now? Probably like a 10-2 flat-ish guy right now if he was still running track. Arian's been a 10-1 guy. So Arian's faster, but I mean, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs there. So there's one guy, but Arian has that home run speed. I, mean, I think you, you see all these lists during the offseason and people talk about like the fastest receiver in the country. And I don't ever see Arian Smith's names on there because he's he's not been an impact player at this point. But I would argue like he might very well be the fastest player in the entire country playing college football. So when you have a guy that has that kind of talent, that, that kind of skill set, and that that ability to change the game in one single play, you can't give up on him. Now he's got a, a ways to go in terms of development, but. Again, it's make or break now. It's now or never for Arian Smith. So I'm not going to discount him. I still think Dylan's ahead of him, but I'm, I'm hopeful that Arian at the very least can work into the rotation more consistently this year and, and get a chance to make more of those plays for us. Another guy to watch at that Z receiver spot would be London Humphreys, the transfer coming over from Vanderbilt, who I think is going to be a really good player for us this year. I just don't know, like, where does he fit this year? Like, how much of an impact can we expect this guy to make this year? I know he did a lot of really good things as a freshman for Vanderbilt last year. Did a lot of really good things for them. He caught a touchdown pass against us and has great speed. And actually, good size go along with his great speed. But I, I would still put Dylan Bell ahead of him. I mean, he's got trans, He's got to make that transition to our system. Arian Smith, I know, has had issues playing receiver. Right now, I would say Humphreys has done a better job of playing receiver than Arian Smith has in his career. But Arian still has that, that speed that as fast as Humphreys is, he's not Arian Smith level fast. But none of that means that I'm not high on Humphreys. I think Humphreys will make some plays for us this year. And going into the 2025 season, I expect him to be one of the top receivers on the team. But right now, I have him behind Bell. I, I tentatively have him behind Arian Smith. Maybe he can get some looks at the X spot, but then you got Rara Thomas, you got Colby Young there. So I just don't know if he's going to be able to crack the two deep right now. He's got a shot. He's got a shot to to jump ahead of Arian Smith. Because again, Arian has not put it all together, but we're going to need to see it in this system and see how he makes that transition to this new team, to the new practice structure, all of those things. But he's a guy that's talented. He can absolutely make some plays for us. Michael Jackson III, I mentioned him a little bit when we talked about the slot. I think he's a guy with some positional versatility. I think he can play the slot. He can play the outside because he did that. He did both those at USC. Now, he's a, a guy kind of like Kobe Young. Now, Kobe Young was more of an impact player at Miami than Jackson was at USC. But when he got opportunities, I mean, he made plays. Like, he dealt with some injuries, and there were some studs ahead of him. I mean, Jordan Addison, who was the Blitnikoff Award winner, guys like that ahead of you. I mean, that, there's no shame in not playing ahead of those guys. So, Jackson, I don't expect him to be, you know, a starter. I don't expect him to be one of our top receivers, but he is a very, very good depth piece piece at the very least, and is a guy that I think this year can do enough to set himself up a lot like Humphreys going to 2025 to be a guy that can be more of an impact player for us. So yeah, I think we have a lot of options, guys, really all over the place at receiver. We're talking about slot, we're talking about X, Z. There are no shortage of options. Do we have a guy that has broken out and been like a legit alpha number one guy for us at that spot? No, we don't have that yet, but I do think we have guys that could potentially do that this year. Could love it, do that at the slot. I do think he could. Could Rara do that at X? I think he could. Could Kobe Young maybe do that at X? I think that he could. Could Dylan Bell do that at Z? I think he could. So we have a number of options there, and it's just a matter of who is going to emerge as that top guy receiver. And maybe we don't have one guy. Maybe it's two guys. Maybe it's three guys. But who are going to be those top two or three guys to emerge? I think we're going to start to find those answers out during spring practice. All right, so that is your wide receiver primer heading into spring practice. And when we get back from this final break, we will talk about the tight ends and the quarterbacks. But first, let me remind you again about our wonderful friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, the weather is heating up. I know it's Georgia, so it goes back and forth. It happens. That's just uh, part of living here in the Deep South. But we're starting to see more of those sunny days. So it's time to get into Alumni Hall and pick up the latest spring and summer Georgia gear. Because it's going to be here for you guys know it. So you want to pick up the latest polos, the t-shirts, the hats. You Obviously, if you're like me, Follicly Challenge, you got to keep that head protected. So you're going to check out their hat wall, guys. It's unprecedented. You're going to find anything like it out there. And of course, when you check out their selection, you're going to see that they have a little bit of everything. Whatever brand you like, whatever style you like. Trust me, guys, Alumni Hall is going to have you covered. So make sure you stop in today here in the Classic City inside the Epsbury Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com. you find the same great selection, the same great gear online as well because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. 
Okay, guys, we got two position groups left. Let's go ahead and go to the tight ends. This is a spot that I don't think there's a ton of intrigue right now because we don't have everyone who's going to be in that room during the 2024 season in that room right now for spring practice because Stanford transfer Benjamin Urosik is not going to be getting to campus until May after he graduates from Stanford. So he will not be here this spring, but I strongly believe he's going to factor in the conversation at tight end once we get into the summer, get into fall camp. But right now, it's really three guys. There's Oscar Delp, there's Lawson Lucky, and there's Pierce Sperlin. It certainly remains to be seen how much 12 personnel we're going to continue to use this season without Brock Bowers on the roster, but it stands to reason if you look at the history of the Georgia offense during the Kirby Smart tenure, it's still going to be a significant part of our offense. Obviously, it was a big part of what we did with Brock Bowers and having, obviously, Brock and Darnell Washington on the same team and throw John Fitzpatrick in there back in 2021. Let's not forget, guys, we ran a fair amount of 13 personnel back in 2021, that first national championship run. Not as much recently, but, I mean, that was a, I don't, I don't want to say a big part of our offensive structure, but it was certainly a part of it in 2021. But our affinity for tight ends and our use of 12 personnel predates Brock Bowers. We did not use it as much as we did before we had Brock and Darnell Washington on the team, but we also didn't have the quantity of high-level tight ends at that point. So yeah, we might not have run it as much before Brock and Darnell, but it was still a part of our offense. And now that we are heading into the post-Brock era, I think it's going to be even more a part of our offense than it was prior to Brock's arrival on campus because we have recruited so well at that position. We've used the success of guys like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers to bring in elite tight end after elite tight end to the point that we've stacked that position with more talent than really any team in the country. We are recruiting tight end as well as anyone, I would say better than anyone in the country, at least over the past four to five years. So if we have three guys right now that are going to be battling for playing time this spring, it stands to reason that two of them are going to see significant playing time and maybe a third will as well. Going back to 2021, again with John Fitzpatrick, a third tight end has played a fair amount in this offense over the past three seasons. But if I was to handicap this battle going into spring practice, the one guy that I feel confident saying is going to be one of our top two tight ends this season has to be Oscar Delp. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. This is the guy that was a starter at times last year. Again, depending on what package we opened up with, if we opened up in 12 personnel, the guy was starting. And of course, when Brock went down with the ankle injury, he started all of those games. All in, he ended up starting 10 games as a sophomore last season. So yes, I do fully expect Oscar Delp to be one of those top two tight ends. My question right now is not so much is Oscar Delp going to be among the top two tight ends on our team. That's clear to me. My question is what is his role going to be? And we've talked about this a little bit at various points during the offseason already, but just to reiterate it here, this is a guy that came to Georgia with a reputation of a mover tight end, a la Brock Bowers, a guy that is going to go out there and be more of a threat in the passing game than as an inline blocker. It was those receiving skills that made him the top tight end in the country coming out of high school, that made him a top 50 player coming out of high school. But when you have a guy, the caliber of Brock Bowers, arguably the greatest tight end in the history of college football, who also plays that mover tight end role, well, it doesn't matter how good you are, Oscar, you're just not going to play ahead of that guy. But you're also a really talented player, so we want to make sure that we get you on the field as much as possible. And again, we like 12 personnel, and when Darnell Washington moves on, you're next man up, but you can't really play Brock's role because Brock is still here. So what do we need you to do? We need you to transition to more of an inline tight end role. What does that mean? That means we need you to put on weight. That means we need you to add strength. That means we need you to improve tremendously as a blocker because that's the role that we have available for you to fill this year. And that's exactly what that guy did. He put on good weight during the offseason. He attacked the weight room. I've been told numerous times that this guy is one of the, if not the strongest pound for pound players on the entire team. He's a worker. I know Brock gets a lot of the love for, for being that kind of guy, a grinder, an incredible work ethic, and Brock was all of those things, and he deserves all that love, but Oscar is very much in that same vein. He works like that, and he was very much a work in progress as a blocker to open last season. There were multiple instances in the early portion of the schedule where I'm like, man, I, I don't know if you can really fill this role, but I got to give the guy credit. Again, he works. He got better, man. He improved. By the time we got to the end of the season, he was never Darnell Washington, and that's okay. He'll never be that guy because he's not six foot seven, 275, 280 pounds. 
He's not effectively a third offensive tackle out there. But by the end of the season, he had improved tremendously from where he was to open the season against the likes of UT Martin and Ball State. He was a legitimate inline tight end. And, and what made Oscar unique is that, yeah, he has the ability to be that inline tight end. At least he developed more so into that role last year, but he can still go out and create mismatches in the passing game. He has added some weight. So is he quite as fleet of foot as he was prior to putting on some weight when he got into campus? No, maybe not, but I still think he has that skill set where he can go do a lot of things for us in the passing game. Is he again going to play that inline tight end role or is he going to replace Brock Bowers in that mover tight end role I think he can do both and I think he can do both very very well I still believe he is more of a natural mover tight end now if we put him in that role would he need to drop a little bit of weight maybe potentially but again I, even at the weight he played at last year I saw enough from him in the passing game to think he can function very very well and create mismatches in that in that mover tight end role in the passing game so I'd be fine if he stayed at the weight he is maybe drop a few pounds that's fine but when you're trying to project what role Oscar Delp is going to play in our tight end room next year, I think you have to look at the other two players in that room right now. And also you're going to throw in Jurassic when he gets here in May. Look at those guys. And you have to ask yourself, okay, if we look at that group as a whole, those four guys, four scholarship guys in that tight end room, what are the skill sets of each player? Well, Jurassic is clearly 100% a mover tight end. He simply does not have the size, the strength to be an inline guy. He can function well enough as a blocker at times, the way that Brock did. I mean, Brock was a, a better blocker than Eurostick's going to be because Brock is just a stronger guy. But he, he's not an inline guy. That's not really what he is. I'm not, again, I'm not saying he can't line up in line and, and like technically play that position, but blocking is not going to be his forte. He's a guy that's going to go out and make an impact more as a pass catcher. I would say the same thing to a lesser degree, but much the same thing about Lawson Lucky. I do think Lawson Lucky fills more of a mover tight end role. Pierce Sperlin is an interesting player. He is a guy that we've talked about several times through the offseason that in high school in Florida was basically a receiver, but everyone knew that in college he was going to translate as a tight end because his body was just so big. He was just a jumbo receiver basically at the high school level. And he had all the receiver skill set, you know, all the things that receivers have to do. He did those things, running routes, high point the football, run after the catch, all those things. But, you know, at the college level, he's a tight end. But he also has a great frame. Like, he's a pretty big body when you look at what he brings to the table. But he's still got to add weight. I mean, the guy is 6'7", but he's only 230. Again, let's go back to Darnell Washington. Darnell was, what, 6'7", 270, 280 at times? As the season went on and we saw a little bit more of Sperlin last season... It looked like he started to add some good weight to that frame, but he's still not where he needs to be if he wants to play that inline tight end role, which I think he can play based on the frame he has. He can be a mover tight end. Sure, he can. Because again, that's what he basically did at the high school level. I mean, he was a receiver in high school, but he showcased this the receiving skill set. But I think we are earmarking him to play more of that inline tight end role based on the frame. He's 6'7", 230 right now. At least that's what he's listed at on the on the roster. He could be maybe 240, 245 by the time we get to spring practice. I don't know what the updated weights are right now. But I know he has the frame to add the weight that would make him a really effective inline blocker. Now, he's like Oscar Delp. He never did that at the high school level. And he's going to have to work on that and improve on it and get better at it. But that's exactly what Oscar Delp did. So there's no reason to believe that Pierce can't grow into that role and develop into that role. And I do think that's ultimately what we see him as. But if we're going to try to play him at that inline tight end role, which again, I think that's what we're probably going to do. Oscar Delp's just ahead of him. I mean, Oscar did it all of last year. And Oscar is a hell of a football player. I mean, Oscar is 6'5", about 245. That's what he played at last year. He might be, I mean, going to this year, maybe put on, you know, 5, 10 more pounds. Potentially, I don't know. Again, it depends on what we're asking to do. And that remains to be seen. And I'm, I'm curious because I, I do believe he can play that mover tight end role. But he showed me last year, as the season progressed, he can be a really effective inline guy and probably the most effective inline blocker that we have on the team at that in that tight end room. And also, there's this. You spent the entire season last year, an entire year, an entire part of his career molding him into an inline tight end. Do you just want to wash your hands of that and say, oh, well, you know, now's a new year. Now you're going to play that mover tight end role. Now we're going to try to develop somebody else to play that spot who's never really done it before. I don't know if that's the most effective way to approach it. I don't know if that's the best way to approach it for our team. I don't know if that's what's best for our team. So I 
if I had to project right now, I do think that Oscar is going to play the inline tight end role. Now, he's not a traditional inline tight end. He's more of a pass-catching threat than Darnell was because he, he's just a, a more athletic player. Darnell was athletic for 270, 280, but Oscar is a legitimately athletic tight end, even at 245, 250. But when it comes down to it, the biggest reason why I think we're going to keep Oscar in that role is because of the guy that's not even on campus right now. I think Urosic is legit, guys. I, I know that not everyone shares that opinion right now, but I think once you get a look at this guy in game action, you're going to see what I'm talking about. I, I think we recruited him for a reason. Like We've recruited so well at tight end, right? We talk about this all the time. How great Georgia's recruits the tight end position. We're stabbed. We have the best tight end room in the country. Well, if that's the case, then why would we go out and, and take this guy from Stanford? Well, we go out and take this guy from Stanford. Number one, because we use a lot of tight ends. Only having three scholarship guys on the roster that doesn't really put us in the position that we want to be in going into a season. We want probably at least four guys. If you're going to use 12-person a lot, you want to have a two-deep, right? But you go out and get this guy, and not, not only get him, you go out and convince him to come to Georgia. This is a guy that has been highly productive during his career. I know last year you look at the numbers, you say, well, it doesn't look like he was that productive last year. Well, he was hurt for half the year, guys. He missed six games. And if you watch Stanford for even a second last year, you know their quarterback situation was an absolute disaster. And it kind of has been for a couple of years. That guy can play, but he is 1,000% a mover tight end. He is not an inline guy. And he does a lot of things that Brock was able to do for us. He was a guy that can go out and, and dominate the seams. He's a guy that you can use in the screen game. He's a guy that's a threat with the ball in his hands after the catch. Hell, he's a guy that you can even hand the ball off to, which they did at Stanford just like we did with Brock Bowers. I personally believe that by the time the season opens, he will be our starter in that Brock Bowers mover tight end role. If that's the case, you have to keep Oscar Dupp on the field because that guy's too talented not to. He has, has too much experience. He was too good for us last year to not be on the field. So considering the fact that he did play that inline tight end role last year and the other guy who I believe is going to be our, our starter at tight end in Urosic is not an inline guy. He's a mover tight end all the way. Well, that is just further reason to believe that Oscar Delp is going to remain in that role as an inline tight end. So he's the guy I absolutely feel confident saying is going to be in that starting duo and will likely fill that inline tight end role. Now, I did mention Urosic. I do think he's ultimately going to end up being the guy that opens the season as a star there. But Lawson Lucky is not going to go down without a fight. Lawson had a hell of a spring last year, hell of a fall camp, dealt with some injuries right at the end of fall camp and got set back a little bit to open the season. But he got more and more comfortable as the season went on, and his reps increased in a commiserate fashion. And of course, when Brock Bowers went down with an injury, well, he's thrust into that that's number two tight end role behind Oscar Dell. He's a highly talented tight end in his own right. He's another one of those guys that's just a worker behind the scenes, extraordinarily coachable. There was a reason he was making a name for himself last spring and last fall camp prior to suffering that injury to open the season. So I, I am certainly not ready to say there's no chance that he is going to be able to hold off Urosic and, and be the starter at that mover tight end role. I just think right now, based on his experience and his proven production at the college level and what he brings to the table, I think that Urosic is going to be that guy. Now, him getting here in fall camp and not being here for the spring certainly opens the door for Lawson Lucky to establish himself and make it even more difficult for Urosic to come in and take that position for him. He has a chance to somewhat entrench himself in that spot and create a situation where Urosic has to come in and just prove that he's head and shoulders above better than Lucky is. And and I don't know if he is. Like I think he's better right now based on his experience in the production. But is he head and shoulders above better? I don't know. I don't know. So I think this is a big spring for Lawson Lucky. And I know we mentioned Sperlin a few minutes ago. He's a guy, again, I think is going to fill in behind Oscar Delp in that inline tight end role but right now based on where his body is I think he could play the mover role if we needed him to I just think we have two guys that are better suited for that spot right now ahead of him but look guys once again we are loaded at that position nobody's going to be Brock Bowers we all have to understand that right I think we all get that Brock Bowers as a freak Brock Bowers is as rare as they come like you just don't see guys like that not just the the production but just the way the guy is built you just don't see it from a from a work ethic standpoint a leadership standpoint production standpoint the way he was able to go out there and play like just the insane things that he did on the field those guys are rare so none of the guys in our room right now are going to be Brock Bowers but we still have arguably the most talented tight end room as a whole in the entire country and I'm very intrigued to see ultimately how that ends up playing out. Obviously, a lot of it will have to play out in fall camp once Urasa gets on camp, but we'll start to get some answers to some of these questions this spring as well. And then finally, we got the quarterback position. I saved this one for last because it's the most obvious in terms of the starter. It's very clear. 
Carson Beck is the starter. In fact, there's zero questions about that. There's not even a competition. Carson is the starting quarterback. No questions asked. Hands down. No intrigue there. And to be honest, I don't really think there's all that much intrigue in the backup job, the number two quarterback job. It's almost certainly going to be Gunnar Stockton. He's going into his third year in the program. There's no Brock Vandegrift for him to battle against. He's clearly the number two guy. Is there an outside shot that Ryan Pluglisi, the true freshman early enrollee from Connecticut, is there an outside shot that maybe possibly some way, somehow, he could just wow everyone and earn that number two quarterback job? I guess anything's possible, but I just in no way see that happening. And that really should not be anyone's expectation. If he does not come out of the spring, certainly coming out of the spring, but even if he doesn't come out of fall camp as the number two guy, don't get down on him, guys. He's a true freshman early enrollee. There's a guy in Gunnar Stockton who, oh, by the way, is also a really talented player in his own right, who's also been in the system for three years now. Gunnar is almost certainly, maybe like a, a, a 0.00001% chance that he won't be the number two quarterback to open this season. So I'm not holding Pluglisi to that standard right now. Are you ready to be the number two quarterback? Like, if he's not, like, oh, well, I'm not going to be disappointed because why would he be ready when you're talking about a guy in Gunnar Stockton, again, who's very talented, has been in the system for as long as he has been. He should be the number two quarterback. I'd be concerned about Gunnar if he wasn't. When it comes to Pluglisi, I'm just looking for positive signs. I'm looking to hear from people I trust that this guy is getting it behind the scenes, that he's attacking the playbook, which, by the way, I'm already hearing behind the scenes, that he is a, a film junkie, that he has the work at the behind the scenes, that he's showing the leadership skills, that he's flashing at times and making some wow plays during practice. Maybe not consistently because he's still a true freshman and he's trying to learn the system, but man, you can see the talent, you can see the ability, you can see the mental makeup. That's what I want to hear and see from Ryan Pluglisi. And I, I fully expect that that will be the case because again, I've already been hearing those things behind the scenes the first two months of the year. But yeah, there is really zero intrigue at the quarterback position. To me, that's why I saved it for last. It's Carson Beck, it's Gunnar Stockton, you have Ryan Pluglisi coming in as QB3. But yeah, all right, guys, that's it. I think that covers every single position on the offense now, going back to last week when we did, when we did the offensive line. I'm going to run two more of these throughout the rest of the week. I'm going to do one on the defensive front six, and then we're going to close the week out with a deep dive into the Georgia secondary ahead of spring practice. Look at all the contenders, the position battles, all of those things, just like we did here today. A couple of quick shout-outs. Georgia baseball. How about them dogs, y'all? A awesome comeback today to take the series from Tech, sweep the series. If you don't know what happened on Friday, obviously the weather wasn't great. We started the game. We got through the top of the fifth, but Tech comes up to bat in the bottom of the fifth, and they're essentially like, oh, no, we're not going to take the field. We're going to go ahead and postpone this game. We're almost certainly not going to finish that game. So we were at the point, we were up 9-3, right? So it's a very typical Tech thing. Tech lies. Tech cheats. It's what Tech does. They're cowards. Then we won 3-1 at home on Saturday. We had a massive comeback today, guys. We were down 9-3, came back to win 11-9, scoring nine runs in the last two frames to get to 10-1 on the season. This team is going to be a lot of fun, guys. I I'm very confident that we're going to make the postseason. Now we're going to host. I know I said after the first weekend, like, I, I got a little bit ahead of myself. I know that we're going to, yeah, hey, man, like we're going to host a regional. I mean, maybe, possibly. It's still in the, potentially in the cards. we got to figure out some things in the bullpen and figure out like who we trust back there. I think we're starting to define those roles a little bit more. It looks like Ben Zeldin is going to be our closer. He got the save both today and on Saturday. I want to start seeing our starters go deeper into games. I think we're building up to that. I like our starters. I think we're good there. I think we have a couple of arms in the pin. Robert, Zeldin seemingly in that closer role. Colton Smith coming out of the pin as like a long reliever. Almost like a co-starter, it seems like, with Maracta on Saturdays. But we've gotten off to a hell of a start. This offense is, is incredible, guys. We're just hitting the cover off the baseball. And it's it's up and down the lineup, too. Obviously, the top of our lineup with Charlie Condon, who's probably the best player in all of college baseball this year. I mean, we are lethal up there at the top of the lineup. But there's not really any holes in this lineup. Like up and down the lineup, we've got guys that can get on base and we've got guys that can knock in runs. And with that kind of lineup, you're never really out of games. We've had a couple of comeback wins, obviously with today's comeback win, the most recent, most dramatic comeback win. But I'm really liking what I'm seeing from this team. Obviously, we need to see what happens once we get into SEC play. But this is a team that has all the makings of a postseason team. And that's exciting, guys, because we know how the college basketball season has ended up going. It's not been so great, obviously. We'll get into that a little bit later. We'll, we'll definitely do a, a post-mortem on the basketball season. That's coming up. Trust me, that's coming up. But, you know, I, I sat there last summer watching the college baseball, 
you know, regionals, super regionals, the College World Series, obviously. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm jealous, man. Like it's, it's the same thing I do with the NCAA tournament every every March. Like, I'm just jealous. I, I, I'm man enough to admit it. I want to be a part of that. I want to feel that excitement that time of year. And it was frustrating to not be a part of that. So I think we're going to be back in the postseason this year. It certainly looks to be trending in that direction right now. Are we all the way where we want to be? Are we a team that's going to you know, make a super regional and, and make a run of the College World Series? Probably not. But also maybe. Who knows? I mean, I don't think a super regional is out of the question. If you get to a super regional, I mean, hey, anything can happen in a three-game series in a super regional. So it's been a really fun start to the season, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a, just a fun season all the way through this year. So tip of the cap to the Diamond Dogs. Georgia women's tennis also want to give them a tip of the cap here. Got off to a 2-0 start in conference play. Took down Missouri and Arkansas on the road this weekend. And to be honest with you guys, Missouri and Arkansas are not good women's tennis programs. They're not very good at all. So we should have won those matches, but we won them in convincing fashion. 4-0, 4-0, wasn't even remotely close. We have a big weekend ahead of us this coming weekend. We go 2-4 to 2-South Carolina. South Carolina is not as good this year. They have been a good women's program the past five or six years. Florida is one of the top two contenders, I would say, to our SEC crown this year. We already beat them once in the national indoors, but going on the road, Gainesville, that, that's a tall task. So that would be a very nice measuring stick, but this women's tennis team, guys, shaping up to be another SEC championship caliber team, and who knows? Maybe another team that can go back to a Final Four just like we did last year, and maybe possibly even take that next step. But all right, guys, that is all I got for today. Again, I'll be back later this week to wrap up our spring practice primary series. We've got two more of these to run through. We'll do the front six on Wednesday, and to wrap up the week, we will do the secondary. So keep on coming back for more, guys. Got you covered heading all the way up to spring practice, which, again, opens Tuesday, March 12th, about a week and a half-ish away. But I'm Tyler, and, of course, as always, go dogs. <laughs>